welcome to episode 198 of Speaking of Mysteries. I'm Nancy Clare, and joining me on the podcast today is Kathy Stoller to talk about Bar None, her debut novel in her Murder on the Rocks series. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, Nancy. Thank you. It's so nice to be with you and speak with you. Um, the first line of Bar None is inspired. Someone <laughs> had to do it which I think is the core of every mystery. Of course, uh, the mystery is not what Jude Delane, your protagonist, is referring to. She's the owner of a bar, and she's talking about her barback task of cutting fruit. You want to talk about Jude a little bit? Sure. Um, she is um, one of my favorite protagonists. She's uh, kind of an intrepid woman who's had a sort of a, tech, not a checkered past in the sense of crime, but a disadvantaged past in a way. Her family is gone, and this bar is her life. So she really works hard at keeping it the way she wants it, and, and she, she loves being there, although it is a lot of hard work. And as you, as you see in the book, she gets involved with a lot of different things and her customers, and um, she's just this... Uh, a young woman who's uh, determined to make her life better. Well, I have to admit, uh, I bonded with Jude. Uh, her visceral reaction to the beats that Dean, uh, her partner uh, and chef of the bar's restaurant, uh, mm -hmm. was spot on, at least for me, because I have a, a, a an aversion to beats that probably knows no depths. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I really don't like them, and I just thought um, that would be kind of a fun thing to put in there, you know. Um, and he tries to hide it from her, but she sees it, all that bloody red juice dripping. <laughs> so, And considering um, what's going on, and in the very beginning of the book, <clears throat> which I think it's safe to talk about, she discovers uh, the suicide of a co-worker, uh, in the apartment of one of her clients, and, yes, uh, and that, well, not her client, one of her customers no, at the bar, uh, and her customer, and her friend. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, Sully Thomas Sully Sullivan is her landlord and a really good friend. He helps her and uh, her partner out all the time. He's of course patron of the bar and restaurant, and um, the person who was who they whose body you discovered it was a coworker of his from the uh, big city food co-op, and he had wanted to speak to Sully about something that he believed was happening there. So they didn't believe it was a suicide, and uh, that's when Jude goes undercover to investigate. She doesn't really want to do this, but she does it for Sully. So aside from making me miss going to bars to enjoy a cocktail and, and some <laughs> luscious bar food, what struck me, uh, and you just touched on it in the, in the answer, was the communities that local watering holes engender between and among the staff and the customers, like Jude and Sully and Dean, and how that sort of camaraderie leads to a situation where Jude is involved with, with Sully. You know, he's her landlord and he's a customer, but as you said, he becomes a friend and almost family. Um, yes. And, you know, what I'm doing my best to say is that the cast of 
characters in the story are engaging and believable and, you know, kind of makes you comfortable uh, being part of their world through the course of the story. Well, that's good. I mean, honestly, the idea for the story, uh, my husband was in the bar business for a very long time. And I used to go, he worked in our neighborhood most of the time. He owned, uh, was part owner in one or two places. And when our daughter was very little, I would bring her to Who's On First, where he worked um, when she was like, you know, from a baby till she was about five. And all the people there knew us and knew her, and we all became friends. We're still friends now. And it, it is a community, you know. Um, of course, nobody died or <laughs> had to be investigated for murder. But I always thought that the restaurant would uh, make a good a good place for a mystery. You know, it would be a good setting to have, to have that as the mystery. And I kind of knew about it from going and meeting people and being part of their lives as they were part of ours. So it is a, it is a good community. Well, you know, it can be. it's funny you said that because one of the questions I was going to ask <clears throat> was that you, you seem very familiar and comfortable in this world that you've created. Uh, although I should mention that the story is told first person. And you, 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 know, you know what Jude is doing on uh, a very granular level. Uh, to me, more than something you have just researched. You know, it's, it seems like this is something that's part of you. And now I know why. Yes. I mean, I never worked at the bar or a, any bar. But um, at, <laughs> I sort of hate to say this, but I spent a lot of time with them. But... Um, Mostly um, when my husband was working, you know, I would visit with the baby and uh, we had a, 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 one of the bartenders there who was a really big guy and he would take her behind the bar and he would be dancing with her, but you couldn't see her. You could only see him. So people would come in and say, what's going on? <laughs> what's that guy doing? But it, it, you know, so I kind of got to know how it worked and how the, business end of it worked and, you know, the food and the drinks. And I like writing that kind of stuff. I like making up the drinks and creating some dishes. Not that I love to cook that much, but it's fun to make them up in your imagination. <laughs> and we should mention at the end of the book are recipes for uh, yes. luscious, uh, brunchy food. And yes. some cocktails. So it, it's definitely, uh, it, it is a full-service novel. <laughs> yes. But the, it, so, in, uh, in addition to, uh, no, 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 in addition to uh, understanding how the bar works, in the case of Jude, and this is probably something else you observed uh, by the time you spent your family time, uh, as the owner of the bar and a bartender, and she's a pretty good judge of people. She's, you know, a bartender is sort of uh, an unlicensed shrink. And you have yeah. to, you know, she can read body language and she can read between the lines of stories. So I thought that that sort of prepared her for uh, the task that Sully asked her to do. Yes. I mean, she was really reluctant to go undercover and she had five or six people to investigate and, um, you know, which she did. And 
I think that was hard for her, you know, in a way. But she she took on the task, and then of course there was another murder, and then there was an attempt on Sully. So it all became more personal too. So she wasn't going to give it up. She wasn't going to give up. Because I think you need to be anybody in business, but specifically in the hospitality business, you have to be. There has you have to have a stubborn streak somewhere. Oh yes, yes. And and I think she does. She shows it in this book, and I have uh, two more coming with with her with the in the series, the Murder on the Rock series. And things get even worse. Let's well, say. Hold that but, thought um, because I'm going to I'm going to ask okay. you about that. Okay. Um, and although uh, Jude is not always a really good judge of character, uh, you know she's got this boyfriend Roger, and to me, the way I looked at it, her involvement with Roger in this story proved to me that Jude is human. But it also, you know, meaning that you know she she can be attracted to someone who maybe she shouldn't be. But it also, to me, highlighted the challenges that women encounter just living their lives, let alone, you know, running a business. It's just mm-hmm. everything is more difficult for women. And I think especially now, you know, with everything that's going on and all these allegations um, that are finally coming to light, uh, I didn't really get into that part of it that much in the book, just with Roger and he was just uh, a stalker and a control person, control freak. And you're right. You know, she, she, I think she knows that he's not the one for her and she finally realizes it. So I wanted that to happen. I wanted her to get rid of him and move on, shall we say? Yeah. I mean, and she just, does, and she does report him and he does, you know, get arrested and, He's committed other crimes elsewhere. So, um, but she has a very good um, support group for her, and who help her, Sully and her bouncer LT, and her partner and uh, Pete and Dean, and some of the other people at the restaurant. They're they're there for her um, and her neighbors. So I think that that helps with. Um, that part of the story with uh, with Roger. Well, there's there's a universality to the story of the lounge bar, which is the name of Jude's bar, but it's also a very New York City story. Uh, the bar's on the Lower East Side, and the yes. and the food bank where Sully works and where Jude is going to go undercover is in the Bronx. That's in the Bronx, and the right. two areas are miles apart, literally and metaphorically. So I found that an, sort of an interesting uh, counterpoint in this story. Well, I was actually born in the Bronx, and I lived there for quite a while until I got married. And I um, know it pretty well, And it, although it's changed quite a bit. Some of it has not changed, like the place where she, I had her growing up. That's pretty much the same. And City Island is pretty much the same. So I, I thought that would be a good counterpoint to the Lower East Side, and the food bank, there is, um, the food banks are wonderful. I don't want to disparage them in any way. They really help people. There's these, this big market called the Hunts Point Market, which is hundreds and hundreds of uh, wholesalers and vendors, and there is, like, City Harvest has 
um, offices there. So I, I kind of use that as part of the setting. And, and then, of course, the Lower East Side, where she lives and works. So there's kind of a counterpoint going on there between the Bronx and 10th Street and Avenue B. And, of course, um, this book is set in, in pre-pandemic times. And, uh, you know, I was, yes. I was laughing, uh, uh, chuckling, not laughing, but chuckling that uh, in the book between the two areas of Lower East Side and the Bronx, she encounters traffic. And I should say I had this same discussion with Marsha Clark uh, about her, <laughs> her new book where she uh, puts uh, her lawyer and one of her lawyers, I think her paralegal, in a car. And uh, because in, in, she said in L.A., she has a lot of times has her characters interact in cars because you spend a lot of time in the car. So it, it's another one of those, oh, my gosh, yes, I remember traffic. Yes, and we have it again. <laughs> well, it's since the um, stay-at-home orders have been lifted, traffic is just the same as it always was, which is, like, noisy and bad. So, um, yeah, but there's, and there's always traffic going up to the Bronx because it goes to the throughway up to upstate and other places. And, I, yeah, she does get stuck <laughs> in the traffic. And she hasn't, she's living in Manhattan. She hasn't been driving much. So she has to kind of get used to driving again. And she borrows Pete's car. And parking is a problem, which is a parking is a problem always unless you have a garage in this in the city. It's just hard to find street parking. I think the point Marsha Clark was making, it gives you a, a time for your character to be introspective when they're in the car. That's true. That's very true. And she was, uh, Jude was in several uh, scenes where she was in the car um, after she left the funeral and was driving back and stopped and thinking about Sully having been, been injured when he was in the hospital. So it was, it was a good place for her to be away from the bar, to be calm in the sense of thinking about what was going on around her and to have the time to reflect on that. Before I ask you about the second and third installments in your Murder on the Rock series, um, I wanted to say that you're no stranger to writing uh, mystery series. So I'd like to know what attracts you as a writer to series uh, as opposed to standalones. I know you've written short stories and you are an award-winning short story writer. Uh, but, you know, some writers do, I think I'm thinking of someone like uh, Lori Rader Day who writes standalones and people who write a series, Hilary Davidson, Mariah Fredericks, right. uh, both New York writers, both are writing series. So I, I'm all, this fascinates me, you know, what, what attracts well, you to a series? My, my first series was uh, Laurel and Helen, New York Mysteries. And I think when I decided to write those books, I was thinking about things that were happening in the world around us, like hidden identity and identity theft. Um, the, one of the books is about stolen Nazi art, which was 
and it still is um, comes to light every now and again about people finding this. And and I I just kind of got involved about having this two person series that they work together. They're very different, and you know, just I don't I can't honestly say what made me decide to do that, but I wanted to do it. And I wrote three books, and they are out of print now, but I, I, may be, I may bring them back. And they were really fun to write, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed the interaction of the two women who were very different, the people they meet, and the, and the um, crimes that they look into. And then I wrote uh, two books, I don't think I'm going to do another one, about a professional blackjack player called Nick Donahue. And he's very funny and witty and a little like, oh, what's going on around me? But he always solves, he always helps his partner, Marina, who's the real professional, solve the crime. The first book was a novella, and it was three uh, short stories that I put together. And it's got all over the world. And uh, But he plays blackjack, and that's how he beats Marina. And the second one is, that's called Nick of Time, and the second one's called Out of Time, where he investigate he and Marina investigate the uh, maiming of a thoroughbred racehorse and go to Dubai to try and protect another one in the Kentucky Derby. And there's a weapon of um, mass terror, uh, terrorism, and it's very involved, <laughs> but it was really so much fun to write. And that's also, you know, there are terrorists out there with weapons, and a weapon of mass destruction is really what I wanted to say. And what the, the, the weapon I describe is something that can be made. Actually, they made it at Harvard. It's a, like a cloaking device. Oh, great. That's, Not like the Klingons. But, but that's so comforting. <laughs> I know, right? But it's, I mean, it's something that people have done on a small scale now. Of course, in my book, I made it be a, a big to-do. So um, I don't think I'm going to write another one of those. I might write another short story with them because they're fun to write, these two characters. Um, he's just... You think he's going to be really silly, but he's really very smart. It's just he's got this kind of quirky character. So in in Bar None, because now I'm going to ask you about the the next installment, the next two installments in uh -huh. the Murder on the Rock series. In Bar None, uh, the story alludes to uh, the what happened to Jude's family. It doesn't go into great detail. So this is a two-part question. Can you tell us a little bit about the next installment, which is coming out quite soon, I understand. Yes, and, coming in October. And are we going to learn more about her family in that book? No, we're not, really. Um, I didn't want to dwell on that too much. I mean, her family is gone, and I think um, in Boron, she we learned what happened to them her mom and her brother, and then her father. And the next book is called Last Call, and it starts in 1998 on New Year's Eve when a tourist is missing from Times Square and then found dead 
on the Lower East Side. And then it picks up on, I'm not keeping, I'm not writing any books that are in this time of this pandemic. Everything is before. So the next book is 19 years later. It's uh, 2018, New Year's Eve. And um, the next morning, Judy finds Bobby in her dumpster. And it's the same MO as the first body. And then they learn that there is a serial killer in the neighborhood. And that's kind of the impetus for the book, figuring out who it is and that he's been killing for a long time. And she does. She and uh, Sully do. And she and her boyfriend, she has a new boyfriend. And the third book is called Straight Up. And that is when this person, the serial killer who's gotten away, is pursuing her and trying to kill her and making her life just incredibly miserable. So that's kind of the progression, and that's happening at the end of uh, 2019. And I might write a fourth one, but it would probably happen after the pandemic. <laughs> I didn't really, you know, I discussed this with my um, editor and publisher, and a lot of people, I guess, had asked the same kinds of questions. Do we allude to this or do we not? If you're going to write something that's happening now, it's almost impossible not to allude to it, I think. But if it doesn't have to be this year, you could you could not. So I decided not to. I decided it would be better to keep the pandemic out of it because it doesn't really have to my to my story, I mean, she would be having to close her bar and restaurant. So I didn't really want that to be happening. Well, I did write a short story, though, where I had to allude to it very briefly, where I said it's about a person who is um, uh, the social director, head of, head of that department on a cruise ship, and She's coming back at the end of this year. They're, they're starting to cruise again, which may or may not happen. I don't know. But she just mentions that it was a bad time and she was, you know, she wasn't working and the ship wasn't going anywhere. So that was kind of all I used in that. Well, I know it's been a question. Uh, I, you know, I follow uh, a number of writers groups. Uh, in social media, and I have my own little cadre of, of writers that, that I tear my hair out along with. <laughs> and, and that's been, um, you know, how do you include it? You can make your story in the wake of the pandemic. You can put your story in the middle of the pandemic. You can just change the timing. Uh, but it's 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 hard to... If you're going to set something in 2020, it's going to be hard to completely avoid it. Although that might be an interesting um, exercise uh, to set a story in a place where the pandemic hasn't touched, because that might be a, a nice juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But every writer, you know, it's like every story, Kathy, every writer uh, approaches uh, everything differently. And, and the pandemic yes. has impacted True. writers uh, in in very interesting ways, you know, because for the most part, you're 
uh, working at home is what writers do anyway. So it's it's uh, right. It's like wait a minute. I know how to do this. (laughs) (laughs) I want to get out, but (laughs) I don't know. I just really didn't want to write about it. I was feeling pretty bad about it. I'm sure you know everyone is. I thought. You know, I hope it'll be over. We don't know how long or when, but I I didn't want to dwell on it in my writing. So I just decided, you know, after talking it over, they, my uh, publisher was fine with it, and the editor, they're, they're, you know, they said as long as you can, if someone asks you and you can explain why, and I think I can. So I, I just don't think it needed to be this year because the other book, the first book could have um, could be the year I started it in, which was uh, 2018, basically. The pre-story was from 20 years ago, or 1999, I should say. It was New Year's Eve 1999, so it was from 19 years ago. And I think it worked fine this way. We'll see. Well, it certainly does. It gives us something to look forward to because I think no matter what happens, we're all going to be doing a lot more reading and this one, uh, yes. it doesn't bring you back into the bar, uh, literally, but it does vicariously. And maybe that's uh, maybe that's a little bit of a, of a, a salve on our, our, our having to avoid bars for right now. Yes. Kathy, I hope we get a chance to talk to you when the next one comes out. I think it's a delightful well, that will series. that be in October. <laughs> um. We're planning to, I'm not really planning to do a, a launch right now for this, make just, a, you know, a few things, um, like your podcast for sure, and um, an interview on Facebook and a few other things, because I really thought maybe by October I could have an in-person launch, and we would do both books together at a bookstore. It'll be a, a two yeah, for I know. launch. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, two for launch would be fun, too, probably be fun to be back in a bookstore. Thanks again for joining us, Kathy. I'm looking forward to your follow-up to uh, Bar None uh, and the rest of the Murder on the Rocks. So good luck with this. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. 